you want to be that well-roundedness not only makes you more marketable as a dancer making a living this way, but also just in terms of the general knowledge and understanding of what it is we're doing. Whether you're a professional dancer or just started falling in love with ballet dance, welcome to the Ballet Dance Live podcast. Here, we are diving deep into all facets of ballet dance world that cannot be found in a workshop or an audience seat. Every week, you will find new, honest, thought-provoking, inspiring, and educational conversation with top leading professionals of our industry. I'm your host, Jana Komornitska, and I'm honored that you are part of our dance tribe. Jelinos BDE is excited to offer many training and performance opportunities to intermediate and professional level dancers. Visit joinbde.com for information on how to join their professional cast or to train and perform with BDE Experience program. Gain a unique and professional level experience with training in technique, choreography, performance and theatrical productions alongside Jelina and her team of directors. Information is available at joinbde.com. Happy holidays, everyone! I hope you had fun uh, family celebrations and continue still having, because <laughs> I know the uh, holiday season is super busy with uh, uh, many parties, gatherings, and I hope you are also not forgetting to leave some time and space for you to to rebalance uh, in between and get uh, some energy for yourself but in general using this charming time to boost your energy and to uh, get your inspiration fired up for the entire next year for awesome adventures great surprises lots of uh, uh, smiles laughs hopefully lots of dancing and of course lots of successes and i really wish you all the best in uh, this 2020 year which will be i'm absolutely sure will be awesome awesome year also, these last days of 2019, I have uh, very important for me uh, news and updates that I would like to share with you. As you know, uh, for last about half a year, we are running a Patreon page as a part of supporting this podcast, and I really appreciate everyone who participated there and who... Uh, dances with us and practices with us and also supports a podcast via their participation uh, on patreon but i have decided to close the patreon page well close maybe not the exact word because i'm actually switching it to a completely new platform and we are moving on to Yana Dance Club <laughs> and this is super excited news for me because uh, during last few months I really kept thinking more and more about the former now former Patreon page and what I really want to have there and to see there and I just realized that I need to switch to different platform because I want to create a very different experience than just sending uh, videos to people. I actually want to have it as a 
online community of training and practicing together and this new website it's like my dream coming true because it gives me so many possibilities to deliver for you such an awesome experience it's not only the way easier navigation that you can not uh, no need to scroll the endless posts in the same feed but you actually can easily get to any video any drill uh, or choreography breakdown uh, and from the previous library and uh, review them and also see whatever is the new updates so it's not only the way easier experience of just using the website and having access to all uh, the material, but also it really transforms into a community space. And I called it club, not without the reason, because we are really gonna push on uh, boosting our accountability and motivation because practicing on a regular basis on our own is a struggle for many dancers and online training they're great and we all start them in the beginning but then there is a big tendency of getting lost or frustrated or not having enough uh, accountability or a inner motivation to keep going and having the self-discipline to go so this uh, online platform, Young Dance Club, really will give me so many opportunities and possibilities to connect with you and to help you to boost those uh, important aspects of our dance training and uh, create a really unique online space. Because starting uh, in general, we are going to have so much fun there and it's uh, gonna be so many interesting activities not only related to actual uh, direct training but other things that will help to make this training very fun so what is exactly yana dance club for those who may not uh, know about it this is a way for you first of all to train with me on a weekly basis so every week you're receiving a new 20-minute drill on baladins technique and of course access to all previous drills also it's an opportunity for you to receive detailed breakdown of choreographies because every month there will be a new style it can be either belly dance or folklore style and also it's an opportunity to receive individual feedback for your dancing which i think is very important and rare uh, opportunity in our online space and basically it means that you send me a video of your uh, dancing either performance or training work in progress your choreography or you're learning someone else choreography whatever you're working on and i send you my video with my recommendations so i video record my feedback while i'm watching your video giving you some suggestions and tips and i send you back this video on top of these uh, three let's say more uh, training and practical uh, bonuses of yana dance club um, you also can follow suggested weekly plan for your training which takes your headache and frustration away on how to approach your own practice when you don't have a teacher right in front of you and you just want to uh, practice but you don't know the schedule or how much time it may take or uh, what exactly should I do or find that motivation to do because there are going to be some extra bonuses for those who actually follow those suggested weekly plans 
on top of results they actually will see but also it's a great way as i mentioned to stay motivated to practice on a regular basis and every month we will run different sort of many challenges and mini contests that will make your practice fun engaging and also resultful and efficient so we are not just going through drills we actually see results from this uh, training and of course it's a beautiful way to connect to other like-minded dancers who are also fans of online training and there will be a whole uh, community member zone with different discussions ways to reach out find new friends and also share our own achievements and wins because i think uh, we are really liking of celebrating even small wins of someone i don't know finally mastering that shimmy <laughs> or maybe for someone winning competitions so really a way to uh, transform online training to a social experience and i'm really excited about it and i hope you will check it uh, you can find all the information at yanadanceclub.com so it's yanadanceclub.com i will also put link in the uh, show notes and you can see all options all programs and uh, of course uh, once you're enrolled in yana dance club you're also on top of receiving training with me you're also supporting supporting me supporting this podcast and supporting all uh, content uh, production that i do and that is available for you for free so that's the reason why i decided to sort of transfer our former uh, patreon page to this uh, new platform and i'm super excited about it i'm very also happy to start it right in the beginning of new year because that's the perfect time to really get on uh, something that was on our minds for a long time and finally fix and get on a regular uh, practice schedule find new friends uh, get new results in your technique and training and uh, support your uh, favorite uh, projects with it on top well i hope you are excited to uh, check yanadan's club but i also am sure you're very excited about our today's guest aredia from las vegas and uh, she is someone who will share you with you some uh, treasure tips especially for those who are interested in performing uh, locally and having long-lasting and successful career uh, because this is something that already can definitely uh, share her experience and knowledge of being such a successful performer in such a competitive city as uh, las vegas but also she performed as a soloist not only in the united states but also in canada barbados egypt and switzerland she danced at many many top hotels and restaurants and clubs in las vegas as well as she performed for celine dion's wedding also a blockbusters premiere opening for the mummy and uh, maxim magazine's parties in las vegas she appeared in several tv spots on discovery bravo and the travel channel and uh, also her uh, she has a very unique experience of starting at the very early age of seven and she in fact is a second generation of uh, ballet dancers she's the daughter 
to uh, Serene, also professional ballet dancer with a very successful career too. And I'm so happy we had a chance to connect and actually record this interview. And I know there will be so many uh, useful tips and suggestions for you that I almost suggest you get some notebook or piece of paper close by because you probably will want to take some notes. On this note, let's dive right into this interview. Hello, dear Erenia, and uh, thank you so much for joining us uh, today on the podcast and uh, uh, finding time to, to talk and share your dance experience. I'm so excited to, to talk about your dance story today. <laughs> well, thank you for having me. Um, I know that you started uh, ballet dance uh, and you were infused into professional ballet dance world right from the very early age, uh, like around uh, six or seven, you already uh, got your inspiration uh, to possibly be a ballet dancer in the future. But can you please tell us uh, this story and how ballet dance entered your life? <laughs> Yes, I was uh, seven years old, and my mom was studying belly dance. And, um, you know, I didn't quite connect right away with, um, you know, the adult doing it. But what happened was that there was a girl in my class danced at Talent Day at school, and she was also in belly dance. And seeing her dance, it connect, you know, at my age, it connected like, oh, now I get it, you know, because sometimes, you know, your parents do things and you don't necessarily, you know, understand why they're doing it or pay attention to it. But, um, you know, when I saw her do it, then I was like, oh, now I get it. And so I told my parents that I wanted to also be taken to the classes. And my mom was studying under Marlisa at the time. And so they took me to class and, uh, you know, I stuck with it. I loved it right from the get go. Hmm. So your mother at that time was just studying or she was already uh, performing and being professional dancer too? She was studying, um, mm. and then shortly after she became professional, um, much earlier than I did. I was just in the child class, but um, she became professional and danced with the troupe and did a lot of performances in Las Vegas and in nightclubs and restaurants. And um, at times, as I got older and when I started working professionally, she and I would perform together at some of the same locations. And that was, you know, that was nice. So that was always nice to share the stage. I was in her, I eventually, when I got a little bit older, I could join her adult dance troupe. And so we did a lot of shows together. Mm. And she still performs. She still performs to this day. Oh, wow. That's so, so exciting. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and it's probably such a cool uh, thing to have uh, uh, to share dance as a first hobby and then the passion and then profession together with your uh, mother. And it's probably another level of connection, not only on a personal relationship, but also uh, in this world of dance. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And she's been my biggest supporter. So it's it's been an amazing experience. Mm. Um, did you ever feel any, I know, don't know, additional... Uh, pressure or challenge of uh, um, you becoming a professional ballet dancer later while you actually have your mom actively performing did you uh, maybe some I don't know any stories of that you felt like there's additional expectations from you <laughs> no I don't think um, 
like they never pressured me to, you know, you have to make this your career or you have to, you know, um, become this professional dancer. It was something I wanted to do for myself, but, uh, being a part, like I said, as a younger dancer of the adult dance troupe, and then our master teacher was the leader of that troupe. It really pushed me to just work my tail off and to, you know, try to get as good as I could. And so, you know, I always kept that competition there that I have to, you know, get better and be able to keep up with the um, dances that had more time. Mm. And uh, how does your uh, training uh, journey look like? So you started uh, as a kid going to ballet dance classes and then later you joined already adult uh, dance uh, troupe. Uh, but uh, if you can, uh, I don't know, maybe you have it already in your mind, like just uh, have some uh steps or specific points that it was like transforming your journey step by step or this was this step then i got to the dance troupe and then this happened and that happened do, do, do you have uh, that feeling of uh, sort of dividing your journey into certain stages sure well like i said as i started at seven years old uh, i would say i started getting booked with the group on professional jobs by the time i was 13 Mm-hmm. And then I, you know, so I worked with the troupe at that time. And then I went to work um, at Marrakesh at the Moroccan restaurant where I still work um, when I was 16. And my mom had already been dancing there and our master teacher was a head dancer there. And so, you know, through it, it was just, um, you know, things have changed a lot, I think, as opposed to, you know, where dance was back then, you know, but we did a lot of rehearsals. We did a lot of training in different aspects of Middle Eastern dance. So, you know, it wasn't just studying Egyptian or just studying, you know, one style. We really immersed ourselves in so many different aspects. You know, we had to be well-rounded. We had to learn all the folkloric styles, all the, you know, the Egyptian, the Lebanese, the Turkish, all of that was really instilled in me early on. And so the training was, you know, it was extensive. It was very extensive. It wasn't um, like you just specialized in one type and that was the only type that you did. And so, you know, there was a lot of years of training and, you know, through that, um, I varied what I preferred at times and it's changed over the years. But, um, you know, I just uh, kept studying and, you know, went to work eventually and put myself through college dancing and just continue to dance afterwards. Even after I graduated, I was like, I really don't want to go to work in the workforce. I want to <laughs> continue my journey as a dancer, you know, and do it while I was young enough to really embrace it and, and make it a career. So that's exactly what I did. And like I said, you know, my family was always very supportive and encouraged me and helped, you know, at the time when I was in that adult troupe, it was like, having seven other moms in the troop because they were all my mom. So they were all, you know, really on me and they really, you know, drilled into me a lot of things. So um, sometimes I resented them for it, but really I love them for it. They taught me a lot. You mentioned a couple of times that you kind of find that things changed uh, these days compared to back when, how you learned. And uh, as I understood, one of the specific topics that you felt was changed is the 
uh, education that back then ballet dancers were receiving, that it was more diverse in different styles. And I remember uh, till these days your beautiful workshops, I think I took it like, what, seven years ago about differences yes. between Turkish, Lebanese and Egyptian ballet dance style. So why do you think back then it was more diverse and if I guessed correctly, it's one of the things that you feel changed today. <laughs> yes, I do think that it's changed today. Back then, a lot of our teachers were um, immigrant over here from, you know, Lebanon, Turkey, Egypt. And so those were some of our early teachers in the 60s and 70s in the United States. And so we, you know, it was before internet and YouTube and videos and all of that. So you had to go find these instructors and study with them and you know, and you didn't have as many options back then. So you took whatever came through. If there was a workshop coming to town, everybody went to it. Didn't matter what style they were doing because you needed to learn. You needed more education. And so at that time, yes, we studied um, all the different styles and we did all of the folklores. Those were very important. Everybody had to play Zells. There was no exception. You know, so there was definitely um, a more well-roundedness, which I think is, very crucial because as non-Arab dancers, it's important to be able to make yourself more marketable. You know, if um, a Turkish family wants to hire you, it's important to be able to dance some of their dances. Or if an Egyptian or people that are Persian want to hire you, it's important to know some aspects of Persian dance. You see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So it's you want to be that well-roundedness not only makes you more marketable as a dancer making a living this way, but also just in terms of the general knowledge and understanding of what it is we're doing, which is something I've always taken very personal because as a non-Arab, it's very important that I'm representing somebody else's culture. I'm you know, well-versed in what I'm doing and understanding it. Um, I just feel that's a big responsibility and not to say, well, this is good enough or this is just, you know, a little bit of information I have and I'm just going to throw it out there and see, <laughs> you know, so um, that education was very important and that was drilled into me early on, you know, and also the things that changed was the, the music as well. Back then we danced to live bands all the time and um, you know, we didn't have CD players, that kind of thing. And so with live musicians, you just got a better, understanding of the music and you might have a band that had different you know, musicians from different countries and they all come together. And so you'd have little bits of this one in there and that one. And so you got a better education of the music as well. And that also changes the dance is dancing with a live band. There's just a, a passion and a connection with live musicians that you're not going to get off of a CD. You see, Mm -hmm. And so we were able to kind of bridge all of that. And I don't know, it's just, um, I do see the difference today that um, there's not as much knowledge, I think, of Middle Eastern dance as a whole. You know, we definitely focus more on Egypt. and um, But there are a lot of other countries that also contribute to this art form. And so I think it's important to you don't have to love it, is what I would tell my students. You don't have to love all of it, but it's important to know what it is and how to do it and understand it. That way you have that, you know, that basis. You know, and I had um, an experience probably about 10 years ago where um, I was flown to Canada 
to dance for a wedding between an Egyptian and a Turkish person. And so um, I was surprised. I'm like, I'm in Las Vegas. <laughs> you know where I live? And they said, yes. But we've been searching for someone that can do for our wedding reception a Turkish show with a little bit of Roma in there and then also come back and do an Egyptian show and we can't find anybody that mm-hmm. does both. And I thought that's really kind of sad. You know, I felt bad about that. I'm like, you know, why aren't, why aren't these skills being passed on to, you know, the next generation of dancers? They should be able to put together a show of both. And the fact that they had to fly somebody from another country in was, you know, kind of surprising to me. I mean, it was honored to do it. I had a great time, but you know, that really just kind of cemented for me that the importance of that well-roundedness. Like I said, you don't have to love it all, but it's important to be able to to do those things. Oh, God, I'm just sitting here and like nodding in my head. Yes, yes, all this time. And uh, it's a great reminder for all dancers that uh, we need to learn not only the styles that we uh, feel drawn to or prefer to, but we need to learn even those that we may not uh, quite like in the beginning, but I'm sure eventually uh, falling in love the more we discover about them. But it's definitely uh, true because I'm just remembering even my own experience of living in Toronto. Then there are so many immigrants from so many different countries and you always have this cross-cultural weddings, Egyptian, Persian, Turkish, then suddenly Greek, and then uh, this ability to accommodate. It's it's really... uh, this is, uh, I felt, was uh, one of my um, saviors and uh, the key point of actually being able to survive as a full-time dancer there. But I'm really curious to ask you uh, one question, because um, whenever we talk to our previous guests on interview, whenever I ask this question, uh, I had a situation that uh, people were more into one specific style. So whenever I was asking, okay, what would be the main like key differences uh, between, let's say, Egyptian style and Turkish style or Egyptian and Lebanese style, it was always towards like one sort of, of uh, directing style. But you have a unique experience that you basically educated yourself as a, a really equally in all different uh, styles. And I'm really, really curious uh, if you can give like a briefly some key points. Uh, what would be the feature characteristics, let's say, about Egyptian, uh, Turkish and Lebanese? Because for many dancers who are just in the beginning of, of their journey, um, we have so much more focus today on Egyptian style that other styles, sometimes it's even difficult to find a really um, reliable information. And uh, yeah. they all keep hearing, oh, there are all these different styles, but people may not even know or realize or understand, okay, but what's really the difference? So if you can just like, I know it's a huge topic, but in your mind, what do you feel like the key differences in the style and approach of these different, uh, let's say, styles of ballet dance? Well, I had a veteran dancer once tell me that the the better the dancer is, the less differences you will see between the styles. And I thought that was very interesting um, because we do share basically the same movement groups, if you think about it. But a lot of times it is simply the execution of it, um, muscle group usage. As we know, like Egyptians use more core movements and have almost like that where they pull 
their movements from core, whereas, say, in Turkish or Lebanese, you might have more of an external muscle group that has, you know, where your lifts or drops are just driven a little bit differently as far as body mechanics. Mm-hmm. The music is going to have a huge difference. I mean, each of those cultures has their own style of music, their own folkloric backgrounds that makes its way into the Oriental dance. You know, basically everything came from the folkloric dances and ended up in, in, in our Oriental uh, vocabulary. So you're going to see those variations where in Turkish you're going to have, you know, you always hear about like the 9-8 rhythms and the different rhythms that they use. And, you know, they use their floor work. They have different, um, you know, just different things that you wouldn't see in an Egyptian dance. Not that they don't cross over at times, but, um, you know, each group has their own that they pull from their culture. So I think the music has differences and not that they don't all dance to each other's music as well. So, you know, that can also be confusing to students when they're watching a Turkish dancer and she's dancing to Egyptian and they're like, what's going on? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know, that, that's, you know, that's part of this, this melting process. But, you know, like I said, the Egyptian have more of that core driven um, movement and Lebanese, I always refer to Lebanese more as like the ballroom of Oriental dance because they just have such beautiful travel steps and bigger arm movements. And, um, you know, their movements aren't as um, tight and layered as you'll see with, say, an Egyptian dancer, you know. And Turkish goes more into, it can be a little earthier feeling. And like I said, the aspect of, um, you know, they use the floor work and the, you know, um, they use zills a lot, a lot in Turkish dance, or at least they did. That has also changed in the dance for all, all cultures across. You know, I'm seeing in Egyptian, all of them have cut back on their use of the zills. So that's something that is changing over time. Mm-hmm. But really, you know, like you said, the, the movement is the same for the most part, but it's, a lot of times it's going to be execution. And then they will, of course, have signature pieces that are from their culture and that they will put into, um, into their dance. I have, I, th- I believe uh, you have some, uh, um, not instructional, but demo-, demo videos on YouTube. Because I remember for me, it was really helpful and uh, I saw them to clarify, like, really the feeling difference. Uh, especially I remember right now in my mind about Turkish ballet dance um, style. Are they still available on YouTube? <laughs> Do you know what um, I'm talking about? Yes, I, yes, yes. And those are actually video clips because I have an instructional video on the three different styles and combinations that you can use in each one. Mm. So um, I have a DVD that is out. And so when you see those clips on YouTube, um, that's where those are from. Oh, it's and where can, from my video. where can dancers find the actual full DVD? Is it available for online purchase anywhere for people? Yes, yes, on my website, aradialv.com. Mm, that's awesome. Uh, yeah, I didn't, I mean, it was uh, definitely uh, set up in a shooting area, but uh, I didn't realize, maybe I didn't pay attention back then to the description that it's a part of a bigger DVD. But I remember it was a lot inspired and uh, reminded me the workshop uh, that I, I already mentioned I attended by you. So it was really connecting and it was a very clear, uh, like, di- uh, 
difference between style you can really get it from so i'm really happy that actually it's a part of the whole dvd and uh, uh, i'll make sure there are links in the show notes so for everyone who is listening now and who is interested to discover more you can just go to show notes and there will be a link to um to the website there you can see the dvd <laughs> purchase the dvd wonderful uh, that's great I'm also uh, curious to know uh, your uh, opinion about uh, such term as uh, uh, American cabaret style, uh, because I'm sure in your career you probably um, even performed in this style. But there are many discussions these days. Uh, oh, like can be American ballad and style or Russian ballad and style or anything like that. But sure. American cabaret style has a very specific meaning out of it because it's not exactly this style. It's kind of a set, isn't it? Well. The American cabaret style, to me, when I hear that and when I see what people, you know, when I see videos, this is what they're referring to. It really, to me, is just the um, style of dance we learned back in the 60s and 70s, which had a heavier Turkish base to it. And um, for a long time, I always go, well, that's just Turkish that they're talking about. (laughs) What do they mean, American cabaret style? But, uh, you know, that's, it could be that it's just the um, American... um, take on that style but yes also the this you know the seven parts set show was also discussed as a possibility and i've never really used american cabaret I, that doesn't really make sense to me it was just um it's really i mean if they're talking about americans interpretation of middle eastern dance i guess i could see where that label would apply but um as far as like it being an actual style I always just consider it that they're referring to our old school style from back in the 60s and 70s. Mm. I also heard versions from people that it's mostly referred to an actual set in the restaurant, that there is entrance with a, a veil, yes. then it goes with zills, and then it follows uh, yes. with other parts of the show. It's like, a, yeah, like the seven, you can have a five part or seven part uh, set, but yes, with the entrance, with the veil. Or, you know, in the beginning, and then you do a veil section, and then you do, you know, a folklore section, and have your drum solo. And so, um, but really, I mean, I think that just kind of came from what our teachers that were from the Middle East were doing, working in the nightclubs here Mm -hmm. in the U.S., and that's what we were witnessing them do. And so we just patterned our shows after that, to an extent, um, you know, like I said, it changes with a lot of who, depending on who you talk to, of what they think that is. But um, if you look at an Egyptian show, I mean, they have their set way of, you know, they have the intro and then they have the dancer come out and do the majenzi and you know, and it go, they go through the different types of music and they also have a little folklore section in theirs as well as a drum solo and um, that kind of thing. So I think it was, to me, it was just always referred to how we did our shows back in the old days. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm, I see. Um, coming back to your actual activities, uh, because uh, you have uh, a long, very successful career as a um, performer, full, uh, performer, and uh, not only international performer invited to do uh, workshops and performance on some inter- uh, festi- dance festivals, but also uh, a successful performer uh, lo- at your local uh, events and restaurants, what do you 
think are the um, key of uh, success in your uh, career? What what made you be in demand performer? In your opinion, what do you feel your strength? <laughs> wow. Well, I mean, I kind of take it back to as far as like my local work as um, the well-roundedness that I was able to have a lot of events based on all the different training. And um, as far as just in general and the traveling and workshops, you know, I think it was really just, you know, you have to market yourself and put yourself out there, but also get really honed in on what it is, what your mission statement is to take to your students and to take out to the stage of, you know, what you want to, you know, what you want to share with the world and, you know, really understanding what the dance means to you. You know, for me, it's always been about honoring the culture and having a respect for the dance uh, and trying to do my best to, you know, honor that and, and present that while still being able to satisfy myself as an artist and, you know, enjoy the, you know, the variations of, of you know, wanting to add things into shows and try out new things. Um, but it's really just been um, about focusing on where I, you know, what I wanted to present to the dance world and, you know, and what the dance means to me and really understanding, you know, how it's, um, you know, got to a point where it's really just all you do is just eat, sleep, breathe, dance. And, um, you know, it can definitely become an obsession for most of us. And it really does. But, um, you know, I was just, um, I was fortunate. I had good people early on that taught me well and, um, you know, and helped me to forge that and, and watching the dancers that I respected the most and seeing, you know, how do they present their careers and what do they do with their careers and, and trying to stay on track that way. Mm. You also have a um, nice uh both side perspective because you're both uh, you are a part of festival international festival community and you're also performing actively like locally at uh, restaurants and gigs and you probably um faced it or noticed that in um many cases dancers who are only grew up on the festivals or dance events and dance communities they sometimes um have this stereotypical thinking about uh, restaurant gigs as uh, oh they are way easier than performing at the competition or festival or another stereotype is that uh, those gigs they sort of uh, uh, bring the prestige of ballet dance art down and there are like it kind of feels like um, uh, in many cases dancers are not really fully understanding uh another sort of aspect of Biden's industry and kind of make the restaurant environment be beneath the prestige level of Biden's art. Uh, have you ever like uh, faced or experienced uh, uh, any of those conversations or comments? I have, and I've talked to some of my dance colleagues who have been in the business a long time. And really, I, for me, the key is, you know, if you're working in a restaurant, you're working in a nightclub, it's all about, again, are you honoring the dance? How are you presenting it? You know, are you presenting mm -hmm. it? Because I mean, in, 
you know, in the U.S., of course, a lot of times people have never seen Oriental dance. Are you presenting them with something that's beautiful and classy that will help educate them on what this dance is? And I think that's very important. And so is it beneath, you know, do I think it's less than? No. I mean, a lot of dancers, including myself, have made their living and, and had that base salary from their restaurant work, which has allowed them to go on and do other events and travel and, uh, you know, and have a little more security, especially if you're self-supporting and, it, you know, all the burden falls on you. But it's really about, you know, where are you working? Is it a, you know, you don't want to work in places, you know, kind of skeezy and, um, mm-hmm. you know, so I've walked away from jobs that I could have made good money on, but I didn't feel that it was a respectful environment or, you know, something wasn't right there. So I just walked away and, you know, I chose to honor how I felt about the profession in itself, because for me, it's always been about, uh, I want the stance to go to a higher level where we're more respected. And, you know, that starts with dancers every time they take the stage, how are you presenting yourself? Are you presenting this as a sexual thing or are you presenting this as beautiful art, like a ballet or something, you know, when they go to see your show and so that's very important for the dancer to always, you know, and for me to always present that. And so festival stages are great. They're a lot of fun. You, you know, those events are wonderful. But then, there's, you know, the dancers also have to support themselves, too. And so there's absolutely nothing wrong with working in a restaurant or nightclub environment as long as it's, the integrity is always there. You can do anything as long as you keep the integrity of, you know, your dance and what you're presenting to your people. I also kind of feel that restaurants and nightclubs are uh, the easiest way for us as dancers to reach the general audience. And uh, if you actually care about uh, spreading awareness and popularizing these dance styles, that's that's basically the places. And uh, it would be very sad if all professional dancers uh, decide that, oh, it's uh, not worth performing at restaurants, then what's the general public will be left with? It's It will only... Um, that's the place there people would go just, just because they want to go, not necessarily for dance show. And compare it to the ballet dance festival it's very unlikely that a regular person who has no connections to ballet dance suddenly decides oh let me take a look where are any ballet dance uh, concerts going on right of now of course of course yeah they're going to go to the moroccan restaurant that has a dancer and and that's going to be their introduction to it so yes we do reach a lot more people and so it is important that we have you know well-trained professional dancers that you know like i said are doing our art form justice and the culture in itself justice because yes, the restaurant's just filled with new dancers that don't know because they don't have enough experience to know what's right and what's wrong and, you know, where the ethics lie in, in the art form, then yeah, you can, you can set a lot of bad messages to the general public, which reflects, you know, and we always hear those um, references to us being like exotic dancers and that always just makes my skin crawl. And I'm like, we are not, you know, that is not what we are doing here. Oh, my goodness. You know, um, I, I've been tempted to stop and lecture people in the middle of a show. 
when I hear a comment of something and I'm like, wow, you know, the, the, uh, the ignorance to what we're doing, you know? And so, yeah, it's, you're educating people every time you take the stage. And, and I think that's, um, you know, that's huge. That's yeah, yeah. important. Yeah, I just uh, had one memory when you mentioned about exotic, uh, being described as an exotic dancer. I just remember one occasion I was performing at in Toronto at one uh, um, sort of uh, fundraising event, and it was all uh, uh, just Canadians. Uh, it actually was female event. It was uh, they did Moroccan style uh, um, night, uh, uh, Moroccan themed night, mm -hmm. uh, only female and. Uh, uh, Everyone was literally Canadian, like no, no immigrants from anywhere. Uh, and there was one lady who was passing through the hall while I was waiting. I was just about to enter the stage. Uh, so I was already in my costume, just waiting to literally hear the music and go in. And they all, as participants, they all were wearing galabeas. So I remember her passing through the hall, looking at me, and she's like, oh, wow, that looks so exotic, basically referring to my costume. And I was like so much laughing inside my head. I was like, well, I don't look more exotic than you right now wear <laughs> this Moroccan sure. outfit that has nothing to do with you. But yeah, this uh, stereotypes of being uh, um, exotic uh, dancers, it's uh, um, one of the things that always goes uh, uh, close to the Balinese shows. It's always somewhere there, like on the edge. <laughs> um, you... By the way, also very curious your opinion. Uh, how how do you think how much uh, importance play uh, the appearance of dancer in the successful career as a performer? If you are talking about uh, uh, performing at local uh, events for local general audience, we are not talking about festivals because sure. that, I feel it will be slightly different. Well. Being from Las Vegas, um, it's very strict here. And especially if you're looking at hotel work, casinos, they care more about our appearance than they do our looks. And so that has always been um, a real difficult thing here in Las Vegas because you can have a dancer who's phenomenal and they won't even acknowledge her, consider hiring her because of, you know, maybe she doesn't have the body that they're looking for. So in my experience here in Las Vegas, it's been a bit horrendous. I mean, 10 pounds overweight and they are not even going to look at you kind of thing. So, you know, I think it's going to vary between where people live. Some places are, are, you know, more interested in the personality and the, you know, um, the, the dancers abilities and don't focus so much on looks, but where I'm at, it, it's pretty cutthroat. It's pretty brutal. And, you know, unfortunately I've, had to watch I had one um, hotel show where they um, hired two sets of dancers and one of the sets they hired were all jazz dancers that they put in Madame Abla costumes and threw them out there like they were the same as those of us that were trained and they're doing fan kicks in their Madame Oblas and I'm like oh no no <laughs> we don't do those you know they didn't know and but the the hotel was more interested in their, you know, what costume size do you wear versus 
have you ever even had a dance class? And, mm. you know, and, and, but then once we got all got out there and they saw the difference, I think it kind of like, oh, light bulb moment. They kind of saw the differences, you know, in the training, of course, mm. and the presentation and just the interpretation of the music. I mean, that in itself is, you know, an art to understand and interpret the music. What are your main tips of actually um, having such a long-lasting career as a performer? And uh, uh, there is a lot of uh, physical pressure uh, on a regular basis uh, for these uh, performances because it may seem like only like 15, 20, 30 minutes, but it's this burst of energy and really a lot of uh, physical pressure and emotional pressure. Uh, what uh, uh, do you um, pay attention for for yourself? Or maybe you can recommend someone to already start paying attention, even if they're in the beginning of their career, to, to be able to maintain uh, this profession for for long time? Most important, um, because it wasn't necessarily taught to us in the beginning, um, in back in the 70s, we were not taught a lot about good posture. And so we had a lot of bad habits back then. And a lot of us have damaged our backs as a result of it, myself included. And so for a new dancer, you know, definitely get with a teacher that emphasizes posture, correct posture, so you won't injure yourself. Because it does take a lot, you know, you're doing repetitive movements over and over again. And over time, that does wear out the body. It's like a a pitcher in a baseball game, you know, eventually his shoulder is going to go out from pitching constantly. And mm -hmm. so, you know, for the dancer, it's, you know, being aware of the, your body and not pushing if you're, you know, starting to have pain or something starting to bother you. And not, and I had, and I was guilty of doing that where I just kept forcing things that, you know, my body was trying to tell me to back off and I didn't. And so, um, you know, I would definitely say that, you know, be aware of what your body is telling you and, and back off and, and vary things. You can always vary your show and change things up. And it, you know, also keeps you from getting into a rut. If you have to <laughs> redefine elements of your show to make it um, easier on your body to, you know, because yeah, the longevity is, you know, we want to be able to do this, you know, 40 plus years down the road. And, um, you know, a, a lot of dancers have had to retire from injuries. So I think, you know, just that physical health and strength training and, you know, keeping stretched out, all of those that we're taught are very important. But, um, you know, listen to your body is really key. It really is key. And may I ask you, uh, how many years do you consider you being in a professional uh, stage of your ballet dance journey? <laughs> Well, let's see. I started dancing in uh, 1977. I went pro at about 13 in 1983. And then I, my first like regular full-time professional dance job was in 1986. So, you know, that was 33 years ago, but I've been dancing 42 years. Wow. So, so that's definitely a long time. <laughs> Wow, that's yeah. just wow. And uh, like being able to maintain and uh, uh, 
I couldn't believe <laughs> how long you're in the, in the belly dance uh, world already. Like, you look so amazing. I was like, I just want to know the secrets of your youth and <laughs> like the, not even youth, but like this uh, uh, feel of, uh, it's like almost, you're just at the beginning of your dance journey. What, what 30 years you're talking about? <laughs> what? <laughs> you, you I think really... 42 years, but you remember I started very young. So, um, You know, it's different than someone who stays, starts at 30, you know, 30 years old or something. So I did start very young. But uh, yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's been such an amazing career and journey. But, uh, you know, and, and I've always had to try to vary, you know, I've gone in and out of different styles over the years to keep myself interested because it's easy to get burned out if you're doing the same thing, same thing over mm -hmm. and over, over and over. Um, so I'll get on a tangent on this. Now I'm obsessed with this style and then I'll get on a tangent on this. I'm obsessed with this style over here and, you know, and start pulling that in. And it's always just kept me, it continues my education and it also keeps me interested and passionate about what I'm doing. Mm. But did you venture in a completely different dance styles than ballet dance or you still no. kept it within the ballet dance uh, it was just, Yeah, this was just what I started with was the style of dance. Um, And so, no, I haven't gone into like ballet or jazz or tap or any of those traditional styles. I did study for about a year flamenco and for about a year or so also in Polynesian styles. And that was just for fun, you know, just for some variation. It wasn't um, something I like wanted to switch styles and become a professional flamenco dancer or something like that. I just enjoyed the music and the dance and thought I'd study those but no I've always uh, kept it um, strictly in oriental dance and really there's mm -hmm. still so much to learn that I still feel like I haven't even scratched the surface you know <laughs> because there's you know all those little nuances of um, like I said the different cultures you know or the folkloric styles within the cultures and you can go and study you know the northern group over here and then you know a little bit of over here and, and start pulling from those. And so I just feel like it's never ending. It's never ending. Mm. And plus the dance is always evolving too. So, you know, we're starting to see, you know, you see all the changes starting to really come through and, you know, more now more uh, ballet and jazz styles are being infused into the movements. Uh, so that's changing it. So. Mm. Well, exciting to see your further stages and developments and dance explorations. It's going to be a really, really exciting to uh, to follow your dance uh, journey. <laughs> yes, thank you. Um, also, I wanted to uh, bring attention to the point that um, at some point you actually uh, started uh, hosting your own troupe, correct? Yes, in 2007, I started my own dance company and um, Aradia and the Raw Dancers. And so that was, um, oh, wow, that was so much work, but I really loved it. And I enjoyed choreographing for, you know, I had these beautiful dancers that would, you know, I could just drill this into them of my vision. And so that was, um, that was a lot of fun. It was a lot of work. And I haven't done as much work um, over the last couple of years with the dance company But um, I would say that, you know, really made me hone a lot of areas of my dancing and my skills and my training and um, choreography, especially because you're choreographing for a professional dance company. So 
it's really important to, um, you know, just have such wow factor and all these great nuances. And so that was, that was an amazing experience. And, you know, I always look at all of these as everything is just another education for me to make myself a better dancer, a better teacher, a better choreographer. And that was really a lot of fun. And when you started uh, having your own uh, company, so coming from being a part of the company who is di- which is directed by someone else and now directing your own company and choreographing for, for them, what was your most, um, let's say, challenging uh, discovery that you really didn't expect, but you realized that you need to, to push yourself or to learn more quickly or just, just figure this thing out? <laughs> hmm. Well, I mean, there was a few challenges that were, um, one was um, dancer personality. You know, there's sometimes conflict within a dance company. And so I had to um, learn how to navigate that and be diplomatic and keep the peace and try to keep everybody on the same vision. And so my negotiating skills (laughs) got better with, uh, as far as working, you know, with different dancer personalities and, uh, I also got to where I didn't want, you know, you start to develop a style, like a look of your dance that people recognize, oh, that's her style, her look or whatever. You're on, and so I wanted to start um, trying to create different choreographies that didn't look like a radia, you know, that had just, you know, a lot of different elements or different feel to them. So I didn't have everything just looking, you know, Again, like an array, just a version of a radio, but with more dancers on stage. And so that was a challenge for me to try to really kind of go outside of my own box there and, um, you know, pull in different, you know, styles or just, um, you, know, ele- you know, elements of the dance that would, I would not normally use, let's say. And so I enjoyed that mm-hmm. process as well. Well, I always have so much uh, respect to people who are brave enough to start uh, companies and uh, put people, other people together and organize it. Uh, that was, uh, uh, for me, it was a scary thing for so many years <laughs> and I never really stepped to, to the point like, okay, maybe it's time to not only like widen a little bit of your individual performances to a group of people to a company, but I never did because I was like, I don't want I'm just terrified by about dealing with all those logistics and different people and relying on different schedules and oh, yeah. uh, everything, oh, yeah. all that. So I just, I can only imagine how such a huge chunk of extra work you have to do to keep a company along with your own individual uh, career and personal perform- um, shows. Uh, it just, uh, wow. <laughs> it is a lot of work. I mean, it is not for the faint of heart. It's, it's something if you want to start a dance company, you have to be prepared to put so much time and energy into it. And you're going to want to pull your hair out and call it quits on a daily basis. <laughs> You know, it is rewarding, but yeah, it is. It's, um, you know, and, and it's not for everybody. So, you know, not everybody is, you know, geared towards running a dance company. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. You know, not everybody is a choreographer. That's okay. That's, you know, um, I guess it's like really being okay with where you're at in your dance 
and accepting that and knowing where you want to go with it. But, um, you know, it's not for everybody. So. Yeah, that's so true. But anyway, just a huge respect to, to you for uh, being able to manage all that uh, massive amount of work <laughs> and put together such, such a, um, uh, such a project. Um, I also remember one thing that um, got on my mind last time then uh, I saw you and we talked. I remember you had some thoughts and uh, projects of uh, possibly going to study uh, something completely not related to dance and who knows, maybe even possibly switch or quit dancing or at least add uh, something new to, to your life. And I think it was, uh, I don't remember exactly the specialty you were mentioning, uh, but something either medical or yes. therapy. I don't know. I, yes. I, I, re- I just remember you were talking about that. I'm really curious, like, uh, how did that go? <laughs> yes, actually, um, I went back to school uh, and got a degree as a cardiac sonographer. So I work with cardiac patients and uh, I'm in diagnostics. So I work in several hospitals here in Las Vegas. And it was definitely, I wanted to have some um, other career in place for when, you know, it's time to transition from performing nightly or, you know, that kind of thing. And I didn't want it to be a frantic, oh no, I'm too old to perform now or I've injured myself and I can't perform now. What do I do kind of thing? And so I've been able to, you know, slowly bridge into working in medical and still dance. And I still perform weekly and teach and do all of that just scaled back. And, and, and it's working very well. And I'm, you know, I'm happy I did it. It was um, at one point, the thought of not being a full-time professional dancer, just, made my head explode because I couldn't imagine it. And I was, you know, in fear of how would that even look in my life? Cause I'd been doing this for so long, but uh, you know, I just did it slowly and I've been gradually just, you know, transitioning a little bit here and there. And uh, you know, I enjoy it. It's I'm being of service to people and helping, you know, sick people find out what's wrong with them. And, and that's rewarding because, you know, when people are in a hospital that, you know, it's, they're in crisis and they're very in a lot of fear. And so there's a lot of reward to being able to, you know, be helpful in that sense. Do you think this is something that uh, all uh, dancers need to think about in advance about this uh, uh, extra uh, think along the dance uh, uh, because so many girls are just putting all their energy and all their life uh, only in dance and sometimes we don't think about those situations that uh, maybe we'll need to stop dancing just because we can't or for whatever reasons physical sure. or not physical but uh, um when did this uh, thought occurred uh, in your mind and, and why? Like, was it just because of uh, physical pressure and realization that it won't be forever? But many dancers would think, okay, we can switch to teaching maybe or something else. Uh, I'm just, again, curious and interested in your experience because uh, probably some people uh, are going through something possibly um, 
similar and also can't imagine uh, quitting dancing and uh, or not quitting but uh, making it a smaller part of their lives and there are some dancers who don't even want to think about that and just thinking oh no it will be forever (laughs) sure and and we all go through that where you know oh yeah we just get so focused on it we don't notice that you know in in dance that you have you know there's a time limit on how long they'll let you continue to perform in restaurants or nightclubs or, you know, in the hotels or something, because they, you know, what we talked about earlier with the appearance and the looks, they want the younger girl, um, even if she isn't as trained as the, you know, the veteran dancer. So, you know, all dancers need to keep that in mind that, you know, doing this while you're young, that's great. Um, But definitely you've got to have that backup plan, especially if you are a less self-supporting dancer, you know, And like I said, the burden falls on that dancer to, you know, to pay the mortgage and to pay the health insurance and all of those things. Then you don't want to be all of a sudden out with a back injury or um, think that you still have a few more years to go. And the restaurant owner comes and says, it's really time for you to retire, you know, and be stuck. And I just didn't ever want to be in that position where I was like frantic at a transition and I didn't have any options. You know, so it's one of those things where you, you know, I think it's important for all dancers to consider, you know, what's the future going to look like and at least have an idea, you know, a a 10 year plan, a 20 year plan, whatever of um, what can, you know, what can they transition into if they start cutting back on dancing or they have to stop altogether or something. And, you know, getting the education is something you don't always have to go to work in right away, but you can get the education done and have it in your back pocket for when you need it, you know, business plan, something, something along those lines. But I really do think it's, you know, um, it just takes a lot of the stress off because there's, you know, a lot of stress involved with being a dancer. Your income is not always uh, set. You don't know what you're going to make each month to month. You know, how many students will show up in your class? Who knows? Again, that's a known income right there. Can you make it make it just on teaching? If you have, you know, other help at home, possibly. But, you know, if you live in a big city where you have classes five, six nights a week and they're packed, well, then absolutely. But not everybody lives in, in that kind of a situation. And so uh, I think it's important to, you know, just have that planning or at least have it in the back of your mind of possibilities. Yeah, that's a great advice, and also I can add, even if you manage to do living uh, uh, fully relying on dance, we often forget about those uh, retirement years, yes, yes. and as dancers, we often don't have a good retirement plans from governments, and we don't think about saving in advance for those uh, those years and making it really ahead of time, preparing um preparing our lives <laughs> exactly exactly we get caught up in the artistry of this and the passion that we have for the art that we forget the business aspect of a career which if you just worked in a in a corporate office you would think about your retirement packages and your 401ks and all that stuff but because we don't work in that traditional environment i think we tend to not remember that those are important aspects of the, you know, of a profession as well. 
So some kind of investment process or something for, like you said, your you know, retirement years. Yeah, and also because you mentioned that uh, the income of dancers are so uh, undefined from month to month that we sometimes don't even, we're just trying to survive that month after month. Absolutely. <laughs> Not Absolutely. thinking about putting them putting aside. Well, in any case, it is extremely inspiring to see uh, successful careers of yours and your mom and uh, such a long-lasting careers and uh, you still uh dancing and performing and uh, uh putting together gorgeous uh, shows and i'm absolutely sure that your audience absolutely loves you and you have a lot of people who come to your shows on a regular basis specifically to see you so this is very inspiring to to see and uh, to also understand that uh, um yes as dancers we all have retirement age but at the same time we are in a way better um, situation than, for instance, uh, ballet dancers, <laughs> that they retire almost after, what, uh, uh, 10, 15 years of graduation from ballet academy, yes. and it's already retirement age for them. Yes, we definitely have so, a longer career. <laughs> um, well, thank you so much for... Uh, taking time and sharing and just being honest and sharing all insights into your uh, dance journey and sharing with us your uh, secrets of successful <laughs> career. I really appreciate uh, your time and your input. And um, I, wish, uh, I wish you and your mom many more years uh, of dancing and uh, um, many more of really cool, uh, in, um, inspiring and uh, energizing shows <laughs> <laughs> that will fulfill you. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed it. <laughs> and uh, I would love to to sum up uh, our interview because I have uh, we have here uh, our traditional signature question that I ask absolutely all of our guests at the end of our conversation. And the question is, what makes you fall in love with ballet dance again and again so you keep doing it for so many years? I would say the music. The music has always been my pull. Anytime I thought of, well, maybe I don't want to do this anymore, the music just draws me in and I I just can't help it. <laughs> you know, it just makes me want to you know, express myself and, and interpret it. You know, we get to show people what music looks like. They can hear it, but we show them what music looks like. And so that has always been um, what's kept me so so involved. That's it for today, guys. But before you go away, don't forget to screenshot this episode and share it with your friends. And if you post it on social media, please tag me and our guest because we love seeing who is listening to the podcast. Thanks for being with us and I'll see you next week. Same time, same place.